On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll cover the Pacers' coaching hires as Rick Carlisle is filling out his staff, and so far, I like what I see. Then, Chris Kirshner, Hawks beat reporter, joins for a conversation on Lloyd Pierce, the former Hawks head coach, now Carlisle's top assistant. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Well, by now, the NBA season is complete. Milwaukee Bucks, a central division foe of the Pacers, got it done. Went down 2-0, won the final four games for that 4-2 victory. Bucks in six, as they like to celebrate. And I'm happy for so many up there. Number one, just that market. I like Milwaukee. I'd actually like to go and visit, hang out this time of year during the summer because the only time that I've spent time in Milwaukee is in the winter, during the NBA season, and usually it's for no more than, what, 36 hours or so when the Pacers play up there. And it's always been a bad memory for the Pacers, right? They've lost by something like an average of 20 points per game to the Bucks over the last three years. Not pretty whatsoever as they've been dominant. And we saw even throughout this postseason, would they go 10-1 and on their home court in the postseason? Outstanding. And in that Deer District outside, love it. That's actually what I envision the Pacers are hoping to get after this second and third renovations, right? If you've driven on Pennsylvania right here in downtown Indianapolis, you've seen a lot of the construction that's going on. It's almost overwhelming. There is far too much construction in downtown Indianapolis, but part of that is right there at the corner where Pacers have their ongoing renovations. You know, the lobby, the entry pavilion is going to be looking a lot different. Box office moved to a temporary home. And they're going to open up that outdoor space where in the summer can be a court. They can shoot around, maybe host you know a beer garden, things like that. And then in the winter, create a fun experience where I think you could hang out pregame, but also many can hang out during the game. And plans call for there to be a temporary ice skating rink and things like that. We're seeing a lot of these games become much more than games, right? They're about experiences. And that's true inside the arena as well as they're creating more spaces. Not seats, spaces for fans to hang out. Uh, it's the Colts game. It's like the Bud Light zone uh, at one end. I think that's the south end zone. And Pacers will be doing the same, are doing the same. The Bucks were able to get it done and win that championship. And right away, I at least thought about those connected with the Pacers to the Bucks, right? And one of my friends, including Drew Franklin, who worked in the Pacers player relations for three years, then he and his boss, Heather Denton, left to get promotions with the Milwaukee Bucks, worked under Jason Kidd for a couple years, and Drew has been there throughout, since 2014. So I'm recording this after they had the parade, and I saw video of him having fun, celebrating, enjoying that, and good for him. The other ones, obviously Jeff Teague, Pike High School product, was a Pacer for just one season, like uh, his fellow indie high school product, George Hill, but his tenure was much longer. Jeff's very forgettable, I think, because it was a forgettable team, forgettable season. Didn't advance in the playoffs, and uh, but he was able to sign late in the year with the Bucks after being waived by the Boston Celtics, and he got a championship after bouncing around a couple teams here the last few years. Former Pacers assistant coach Chad Forcier, who's behind the bench. I worked with him in my early ball boy days, in fact. It was Rick Carlisle's first staff. If you go all the way back to 2003 and since then, he primarily spent a decade with the San Antonio Spurs, but has been with Coach Bud 
in Milwaukee, so he got the win. And then the little-known connection is Chris Middleton. Played three games with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. This was all the way back in 2012, but technically he was, I guess, within the Pacers family or organization for a couple weeks. That's about it. And then the Branding Jennings trade to Detroit, getting Chris Middleton, and he became a staple there. Uh, Him and Giannis, what, been together, what, eight years? And have been really impressive. And Chris was great, especially at home. He was kind of uh, the opposite, right, of what Doug McDermott was. Doug was great on the road, struggled shooting a little bit at home. It was the opposite for Middleton. Excelled at home. Didn't quite put up the same numbers while on the road. But I enjoyed the finals. I enjoyed that they're different. I'm one where, yes, I'm all for seeing LeBron or Steph in it every single year. I don't get tired of it. That's not a tired narrative for me. Um, I love seeing the best of the best doing what they do best. But it is good to have some fresh blood, some fresh storylines to play off of, and more than anything, to allow more teams and cities to experience the high that is winning a championship and putting all your chips on the table, like we saw from the Bucks this past offseason, trading for Drew Holiday. And look, you can't argue it was a bad trade now. They won a championship. Good for them. The negative side of all this is just the TV ratings. But again, this reinforces why the NBA needs to get back to a regular schedule. And that's their plan. That's why everything's jam-packed right now. Basically, the NBA Finals got half its audience from roughly $18 million to $9 million this year. And again, it's further proof that uh, the NBA should not be playing in these summer months. And I don't blame them, right? Because in Saturday night, you could be at a concert. You could be at a winery. You could be over at a friend's house. You might be traveling. You're not really paying attention to sports. These are the times while, yes, it's a quieter time and you could capture more the attention on national radio shows and TV shows before the NFL gets started. On the other side of that, they have less listeners. And if you notice some of those shows, that's when the the main host goes on vacation for two or three weeks. They get it in before the fall college football and more so NFL season. So now right in here, late July, things are heating up. As of this recording, the Pacers have brought in 38 different prospects over seven pre-draft workouts. Rick Carlisle, Pacers' new head coach, has been at most of them. And also they're working them, and they're headed up still by Ryan Carr, vice president of player personnel. But also on the court coaching-wise is Calvin Chaney, Tyler Marsh. Those two were assistant coaches for player development. And when Bill Baino resigned midseason, or really a month into the season, it was Tyler Marsh who kind of got promoted, moved to the front of the bench, and took on a greater role. Uh, Dylan DeBusk. Video coordinator, he's still around. Um, all three of those, as I've reported at FieldhouseFiles.com, are expected to have a role on this new staff. But Rick Carlisle isn't completely done filling out his staff, but at least a couple guys will not be brought back as Rick is able to put his stamp and, and is fully in charge of making this hires as he should. And last week, the team made the key assistance official, announcing uh, Lloyd Pierce, Ronald Norred, Mike Weiner, and Jenny Busick. And together, those four, his top four assistants, I like the experience, the focus on players. Three of the assistants have had coaching experience. Several of them played at a very high level. And then I reported earlier today that the Pacers plan to hire Gennaro Pargo as an assistant, probably for player development. He spent the last two seasons in Portland, Before that, two years as an assistant coach in the G League with the Windy City Bulls. 11-year NBA vet, bounced around, so he has experience, played a year and a half overseas in Russia, 
spent a brief stint in the D-League himself. He's known for player relationships like with Damian Lillard, like with C.J. McCollum in Portland. In this day and age, I don't think you can have enough of those. Ronald Norris certainly fits that bill. I think Lloyd Pierce does as well, but there's plenty more to learn about Lloyd Pierce, who I've yet to talk to. He's actually in Tokyo right now as an assistant on Team USA under Greg Popovich, which is a great honor and just ironic, again, how you know Lloyd Pierce replaced Nate with Team USA. Nate was hired by Lloyd last year to be his top assistant. Then halfway through the season, Nate McMillan was promoted to interim head coach while Lloyd was fired. McMillan this offseason named permanent head coach in the Hawks, well-deserved. And Lloyd comes to Indiana where Nate was to join Rick's staff. And Lloyd and Rick really didn't have a pre-existing relationship. It grew over the last year, certainly with Lloyd's work with the Coaches Association um, as he took charge of their social justice committee and was holding almost weekly Zoom calls with the head coaches and had some initiatives that he was pushing and helping and getting the help of fellow head coaches, including Nate McMillan. So to talk about what went down in Atlanta, I called up Chris Kirshner. He covers the Hawks for The Athletic. But before that, just a reminder, we got the draft a week away. Then free agency and summer league. I plan to be in Las Vegas. Make sure you are subscribed to Fieldhouse Files to get all access to my written work, both the archived and newest content delivered right to your inbox and there for you anytime at fieldhousefiles.com. And right now, I do have a special going on. 20% off. It's just $4 a month. That's cheaper than a chai tea latte at Starbucks. That's the go-to drink for me that Chris Denary introduced me to years ago. Or $40 a year. That's cheaper than a steak at St. Elmo's. And the deal is good through July. Now let's get into my conversation. Here it is with Chris Kirshner. All right, as promised, I'm now joined by Chris Kirshner. Does a great job covering the Atlanta Hawks for the Athletic. And what a run they had this past year all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals, making that special run before losing to the Milwaukee Bucks. But been lots of change. The main one is in regards to a former Pacers coach, Nate McMillan, now taking over full-time after being the interim head coach. And the former Hawks coach is joining Rick Carlisle's staff. So we're bringing on Chris to school us up a little bit on Lloyd. Chris, how are you doing? Settling into a little bit of an off season so far? I'm doing well. It, it is nice to get some off time. <laughs> uh, obviously, it was a, a much longer season than I think anyone around this Hawks team expected. But it was such a blast covering them this year. What were the general expectations going in, right? Like last spot in the playoffs, one of those, like 7-8? Yeah, so uh, I, I spoke to uh, the Hawks CEO, Steve Coonan. Um, I think this was during the Knicks series. But he was saying how, you know, internally they were looking forward to playing in the play-in tournament. So obviously, you know, hopefully the, the either seventh or eighth seed. Sure. Um, you know, have, having a couple of uh, games in, in that at home, Sneaking into the playoffs as the seventh or eighth seed, you know, playing, you know, at the time that they were expecting probably Brooklyn or or Milwaukee as one of the top two teams in the East, making some noise and then going about their offseason and looking forward toward the future. So them making the Eastern Conference Finals was not expected or not planned for by the organization. So. Uh, you know, they were very happy that they just far exceeded any sort of expectation because coming into the season, they, they were just talking, let's make the playoffs, let's make the playoffs, let's make the playoffs. 
but when they were saying that it was more so, you know, we'll probably be one of the lower seeded teams in the, in the East, not, not the fifth seed and, and technically tied for four, uh, four with the Knicks. Cause they had the same record. The Knicks just beat them head to head in the regular season. So it, it was not a season that was at, at all expected in Atlanta. Yeah. And if you're not one of those top seeds, the reality is you're probably not going to compete too well because of the, like you said, the dominance of generally the Bucks, the 76ers, the Nets, it's funny, the Pacers' expectations going in were to hopefully advance past round one, and that was kind of it. So the Hawks, meanwhile, just trying to kind of get to the playoffs, build some momentum. The coach to start the year was Lloyd Pierce. He did not finish the year, went 14-20 and 20 before the change was moved um, to Nate. When you think back to that hire two and a half years ago, was that with the long-term vision in mind with his focus on player development? Because everything I read up on him, especially going back before his time in Atlanta, Chris, was his player development skills, how he works with players and and improves them individually. Yeah, that was the main reason why they hired him. Um, You know, Travis Schlenk, the general manager, also just liked the fact that he came from Philadelphia where they had just gone through a complete total rebuild. Um, you know, Lloyd was there for the process. So he saw up close what it was like to develop guys who, um, that was their main focus for the, for those seasons, develop these guys. Hopefully you've land some studs in the draft. Obviously the 76ers did with Joel Embiid and and Ben Simmons. And that was who they were going to build around. And it was going to take some time. Atlanta was going through the same process. Uh, after winning 60 games in the 2014-15 season, uh, that following year they slipped a little bit and then they decided to do a total rebuild. And that's why they went and got Lloyd Pierce, who was lauded as a really, really good player development coach. He was going to have to build up these guys through the, um, through the draft. Trey Young, obviously, Kevin Herter, John Collins. Amari Spellman was in that, in that Trey Young class. He didn't pan out. Uh, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish. So they've had so many young players through the draft. All those guys, I mean, for for Lloyd's credit, obviously he's not with the Hawks anymore, but all of those guys have turned out to at least be rotation players. In the case of, you know, Trey and John, they've they've turned out to be much more than that. And Herter's on his way to being a, a really, really productive player in the NBA as well. So for, for him, his case... Um, I, I think he did his job with that. Um, these guys got better. They obviously were uh, on a path to far exceeding expectations once again, like I said earlier, with them making the Eastern Conference Finals. And I do think that Pierce deserves a lot of credit for that. That's kind of what I was wondering because they have this nice pot of young players, a nice core group surrounding him. So that did fit the bill. They did develop generally speaking, where do you feel like things broke down then in terms of Lloyd, the coach and Lloyd, the the player builder and not getting those on courts results that they desired? Well, I think as, as you and I know, a lot of coaching nowadays is more about how can you manage the guys in the locker room? How how can you get them to cohesively work together? And I, I think that was his, his downfall. Um, you know, especially this in the past two seasons, um, you know, his relationship specifically with Trey Young was just not there. Um, you know, prior to the start of the season, the Hawks returnees, so pretty much most of all of the young players, essentially, okay. all went out to Los Angeles to 
workouts together for a week. Um, and during that time, uh, Trey and Lloyd met individually to discuss their issues that they had to sort through. And they realized that with the playoffs being their goal, Trey and Lloyd were going to have to see eye to eye, which wasn't necessarily the case um, up until that point. They they left on good terms. And then as soon as the season started and, and the team started losing, uh, you know, old habits came up and, you know, they just didn't see eye to eye. And it wasn't even just Trey at that point. Uh, you know, John Collins didn't see eye to eye with Lloyd. Cam Reddish in particular um, didn't see eye to eye with him. Most of the young players had started tuning Lloyd out in the locker room. They were starting to go to assistant coaches to deal with some of their issues that they saw with the team, and they just were going over wow. Lloyd's head. So <laughs> That's where you lose them right that, there, yeah, if, if they're yeah, doing I mean, that. Anytime that's, that's happening, um, you know, you've, you've clearly lost the team and a change needs to be made. So when the team is 14 and 20 and, you know, heading down a path where they were not going to make the playoffs, Travis Schlank, when he ended up firing Lloyd on, on March 1st, you know, one of the the clear points that he made was that the Hawks just needed a new voice. It wasn't about, you know, coaching X's and O's. It wasn't mm-hmm. about that. It was just the Hawks need a new voice. And, you know, from what I had learned over the past couple of years covering this team is that, you know, I, I knew that the players didn't necessarily like Lloyd when it came to how he was managing just the personalities on the roster. Um, you know, they, they definitely disagreed with some of his basketball decisions, but it was mo- mostly off-the-court stuff and mental stuff that the team huh. just didn't necessarily agree with his philosophies. So that, that was the, the main reason for his downfall. That's interesting. That was the main route I was going to go next. Was, was it basketball principles or just the human management side? And I know <laughs> probably better than anyone in the league what that challenge was like this past season <laughs> with Nate Bjorkren, and that's where he had zero connection with the players and just it completely broke down. They just didn't have any kind of relationship with the human management side. And I do find it a, kind of an ironic twist here, Chris, that we saw Rick Carlisle leave Luca in Dallas. And now right. Lloyd, not he didn't leave by choice, but Atlanta, where those two were traded for each other. And now they can kind of, I don't know, talk about it over wine or something at <laughs> night about their experiences and why they hated it probably, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's definitely going to be interesting. Um you know, I, I think for, for Lloyd, um, you know, going through this experience, obviously he, he was a first-time head coach. Um, you know, it's it's the thought that, you know, you learn from your mistakes and, and you can sure. improve moving forward. Obviously what he experienced in Atlanta, um, you know, seeing this team get to the Eastern Conference Finals when, uh, you know, he got fired maybe way through the season and and the team was in 11th place i'm sure it's uh i'd be interested to know like how he felt about the situation just because of the fact that you know he he was the head coach he was the one developing these guys from the moment they were drafted and and to see them get to the eastern conference finals in the year that you you get fired I'm, i'm sure um you know it's 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 probably hard on a personal level obviously he probably wouldn't admit that publicly but i would imagine that you know, it, it is, 
I don't know the word I'm looking for, but it's probably difficult to see that. Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm, I would be really interested to see to hear what he would have to say about that. Yeah, it's like you're building something and you saw it from the ground floor. You were there when you were designing the plans, and then during the grand opening party. They said, all right, you can leave now. We don't need you. Like, right. <laughs> and you were right. there when exactly. you won 20, 20 games and 29 wins his first season. And then they doubled it this year. And most of those came after him. So, yeah, they, it would be uncomfortable, again, probably more from the professional standpoint, the time and the hours and the time going into the bubble um, versus it sounds like, you know, it's not like he's um, had that great of a relationship with the players where he'd, he'd push for them and want to see them succeed as much as just that team and that organization and what the, the sweat equity that he put into it the last couple of years. Right, exactly. So that that's why, um, you know, for for him personally, um, you know, I, I'm sure he was watching the games and, and thinking this himself, like, you know, I, I was a part of this. I wish it could have gone better, but, you know, obviously it didn't. And you just hope that, um, you know, he learns from it and, and can be better in, with this new opportunity in, in Indiana. I think from just talking to people across the league, coaches and executives over the past three years, um, you know, Lloyd is highly respected, um, you know, Greg Popovich, when Nate yep. McMillan left the uh, Olympic job that he had as, as an assistant coach, uh, Lloyd was uh, Popovich's first call. Um, you know, he thinks highly of him. And, you know, Popovich isn't the only one. A lot of these coaches around around the league think the world of Lloyd. So I think for him, um, it was only a matter of time before he was going to get uh, some opportunity, whether it be a head coaching job or, or an assistant or a lead assistant job. And, and that's obviously what he got with, with the Pacers. Yeah, you just hope he, he reflects back on it, learns some stuff and takes that here into his next job. And then I'm sure he has aspirations to then be uh, have another opportunity and be a head coach and, and have to obviously alter how he manages players. But it is interesting to me, Chris, too, like you talked about how the hiring of coaches and what is sought out has changed much more. Now, if it wasn't just the fact that Chris or Rick Carlisle is kind of well thought of as probably a top five coach in the league, he doesn't exactly fit that new bill that we're seeing around the league of the player friendly, um, the, the guy that's going to give him a hug rather than, you know, tear him apart after a type of game. And, and Nate doesn't exactly fit. He's kind of somewhere in my mind now in between there. He's not the guy that's going to be texting you and showing up with dinner plates on a Sunday but he's also, you know, he's evolved a, a great deal, both from his time in Indy, and then I think you wrote a story here as, as well on The Athletic, too, about his new situation in Atlanta, what he's like, how he's approaching um, all that, because he's had to change a little bit to deal with these new players. I just thought it was interesting, both Lloyd and Nate are represented by the same group, and they put Nate with him to the point then where, you know, in my mind, it was kind of Lloyd then had to look over his shoulder a little bit the rest of this past year. Yeah. And, you know, from the moment that they hired uh, McMillan this past off season, in my mind, I was like, well, there's the head coach in waiting if, if things go sideways. Exactly. Um, and I'm sure that's difficult because, you know, I remember talking with Lloyd um, back when minicamp was going on because the Hawks weren't in the bubble. So they had, uh, you know, two weeks of practice and I could tell that from from that point that the stress of not knowing his future because he was in the final year of, of a uh, a four year contract, but 
okay. the final year was not guaranteed. So essentially he was going into a season where this was a make it or break it year. And if it didn't work out, they, you know, had an out at, at the end of the season, or in, in his case, obviously he got fired midway through the season. So I think the stress of just not knowing his future certainly got to him. Um, and, you know, having McMillan on, on the bench, the fans are obviously calling for <laughs> McMillan to take over uh, when things aren't going well in the first half of the season. That's always um, hilarious, though, right? Because fans have no idea what's going on. It's like course. rooting on the backup quarterback. <laughs> we don't know about the, the backup, but we know we don't like our current situation is basically what they're saying. Right. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I, I could understand because when you just look at the roster – that the Hawks had built in the off season. Yeah. I mean, this was a team that could really go nine, 10 deep. And, and that's obviously what we saw in the postseason. I mean, th- this team had so many injuries yet the depth that they had really kept them alive for, for especially in the second half of the season after McMillan took over. Um, so I can understand the frustrations that they had just because the roster, it wasn't, it wasn't for a lack of talent that the Hawks were losing. It, it was, um, you know, other things that were going into it. So I understood where they were coming from. But like you said, you don't know how McMillan is going to fare when, you know, he's hired in the offseason and he's an <laughs> assistant coach. Um, you know, this is someone who was just fired by uh, an organization. So, it, it is always you, you're always thinking of like oh like is this guy if he were to come in going to be better he's 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 going to be better um, but again you don't know until someone takes over and, and to Nate's credit obviously he uh, you know far exceeded what anybody could have expected with this team. How about coaching just individually, Lloyd? What what worked well for him? What are a couple of his strengths? And what are some other things that were just, ah, this again, this is an ongoing problem? Right. Yeah, I think for, for X's and O's standpoint, um, the Hawks had a really uh, explosive offense. And to Lloyd's credit, he, he really empowered uh, – to be what the kind of player that he is now mm-hmm. um, you know explosive dynamic uh, really good in the pick and roll and Lloyd developed this offense to, to fit uh, Trey's game and Trey was able to thrive in, in in Lloyd's offense scoring was never an issue with this team it was on the other end of the floor and I think that's where a lot of the fans uh, frustrations grew from because uh, you know, when he was with Philadelphia, Lloyd was, quote-unquote, the defensive coordinator of, of the Sixers. And, sure. you know, the Sixers had one of the best defenses while he was in Philadelphia. And then he comes to Atlanta, and the Hawks are are really bad defensively. <laughs> That's what surprised how- me. Yeah, last year, 28th. Like, given right. a lot of it's centering around Trey, right? And so you maximize right, your offense exactly. and suffer a little bit defensively. Right. And they didn't – I mean, they, they were starting – Damian Jones, Alex Len, Bruno Fernando, Dwayne Demon at center. They didn't have Clint Capello last year. They, they traded for him at the deadline, but he was hurt. Um, so they just didn't have the defensive talent to, okay. to be, be good on that end of the floor. So it, it's hard to, like, you know, if, if you're just watching neutrally as a reporter, I mean, you can see that they just don't have the talent to be good on on that end of the floor but i i did think it was interesting though that you know when mcmillan took over this this year 
midway through the year, and the Hawks were, were not good defensively in that first half of the season, it, it totally changed. I don't know, again, with what I was just saying before, how they were just tuning Lloyd out. They didn't really want to play for him anymore. And you get someone that they that they did like in, in McMillan, and it totally changed. You could see the the, the the defensive intensity increase. So for for Pierce, I would say that his strong suit when he was in Atlanta was that you know he did a really really good job of of uh, creating this offense that could score with anybody. Even even last year when they were one of the four worst teams in the league, they were still scoring points at will. It was just that they couldn't stop anybody. So that's where I would say that, um, you know, his coaching um, qualifications were with the Hawks. This past year, I did want to highlight, too, a lot of times, especially here in Indy, people highlight what Nate did. Well, they did have players get healthy, like Bogdan Bogdanovich. That certainly helped helped their case right. Right, at, right about the same time. And then, yeah, you mentioned defensively in that whole thing, if – I, that's an effort. That's a want to. And if you're tuning out your coach or you just don't feel it, that's probably, I'm just suggesting here, but that's probably the first thing to go. That eh, I want to go get my points. We need to score, but I don't feel right. like giving it a full 100%. And, and also with Nate McMillan, I mean, <laughs> defense is his thing. So if there's going to be an improvement, it's going to be on that end of the floor. 100%. And, and the coach, I mean. You won't tolerate it. Yeah, the players like learn very quickly that if they were not going to uh, go all out on that end of the floor, they just they would not play, and he would not draw plays for them. Sure. So I think they, they realized uh, super early on, right after he took over, that he was not going to tolerate this. You know, McMillan is an old-school coach who loves defense, and, you know, that's what he was – that's what he did as a player. That's what he's been known for as a head coach in the past 16 years or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, that, that's where he you know, wants to see guys perform. And to his credit, I think uh, he brought that out of guys. You know, Kevin Herter in particular, you know, in the past two seasons for Herter, you know, the big question for him for his long-term future was like, can this guy hold up defensively? And if he's going to be in the backcourt with Trey Young long-term, how is that going to last? Because, you know, Trey is, you know, he's small. He's one of the smaller players in the league height-wise and weight-wise, and he's probably never going to be a good defender. So if you have Kevin Herter in the backcourt with him, that's two really bad defenders. But this year, especially in the second half of the season, um, you know, due to injuries to Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter, Herder most nights had to guard the other team's best player, and he did really well. I, I think he he just completely bought into McMillan and what he was all about defensively, and, and he turned it on. And, and I don't think there's any question now that he's going to be a good defender in the league, especially as he gets stronger. Trey got better defensively. John Collins took a really big step forward defensively. Clint Capella turned into one of the best defensive centers in the league. Um, so I, I just think it all it all worked out after McMillan took over, especially on the other on the other end of the floor, and that's why they they had the success they did. It's a really good point about Porter. If, if Trey Young's backcourt mate 
is playing better defensively. That's going to rise everybody up. And, and Trey, if he could just be an average defender. Because, I mean, even before this year, it was just an average effort and an average performance. Like, not good defensively. Last thing, um, before I want to let you go, I do want to highlight what Lloyd did. It was mostly, I think, in the off season last year, right before the bubble. Uh, really took a gigantic step and in, in, in a leading role with the Social Justice Coalition. That was something near and dear to his heart. I know... Uh, through Nate, like the, they were on what seemed like weekly calls with the, the head coaches in the league. Um, they all supported, I think, at least a couple organizations in their cities. Can you speak to what that meant to him, why he took that up and uh, where he wants to go? Yeah, um, I, I think this was the biggest accomplishment that, that Lloyd had while he was with the Hawks organization. Um, you know, he was, was a big proponent for turning uh, State Farm Arena into – a polling place and the Hawks to their credit as an organization took the lead and, and made sure that, you know, if you live in Fulton County, you can vote at the arena. I'm a Fulton County resident and, and I voted at the arena. That's pretty cool. Um, nice. And it, it, and it just made it, it just made the, the voting process so much easier just because you know, I've lived in Atlanta seven years and voting was such a pain just because of, you know, suppression, just where you lived in your community. I don't live in the greatest neighborhood. So for me in particular, if State Farm Arena, uh, you know, wasn't a polling place, it was going to take hours to vote. And, you know, it shouldn't be like that. And Lloyd saw that this was a problem in, in Atlanta in particular. And, you know, he advocated for the arena to become uh, a polling place uh like you just mentioned he took a big uh big role in the social justice coalition um you know he was the the head uh point of contact yeah. for that especially the, you know the, in last year with the george george floyd murder all these police brutality cases against black men and women across the nation um, you know, and, and as you know, Lloyd is obviously a black man and, and, you know, he saw an opportunity with his platform, obviously, as one of the, the 30 NBA head coaches to take a stand and, and you know, ex express how he felt about what's going on in our communities. Um, here in Atlanta, we had uh, a black man who was killed in custody in Atlanta and Lloyd was um, you know, a big uh, proponent for change when it came to policing here. Um, you know, he took, I think it was like six Hawks players who were still in Atlanta in the off season and, um, mm -hmm. you know, led them on uh, protests downtown. Um, you know, I, I think that for, for what he did in the community and obviously it didn't work out for him coaching wise, but I really do hope that Atlantans in particular you know, really do appreciate what he did for the community because I, I, I do think, especially just talking as a resident here, I really do think he made meaningful change. And, you know, for me, just seeing someone in power, seeing someone who has yeah. millions of dollars who doesn't necessarily have to do this, um, you know, it's not his job to be out in the community and, and trying to make change. Uh, coaching, at, as you know, it takes a lot, a lot of time. But for him to do this and want to do this, I, I think it was really, really awesome of him to do it. Um, it showed a lot about his character. And I really do hope that people in the city 
really do appreciate what he did for us. Yeah, did a lot of good things. And I love seeing people's passions, whatever it is outside of right what we kind of pigeonhole them in. Clearly, this is a huge passion of his, and I look forward to kind of covering that as I'm sure he'll continue it here in Indy once he gets back from the Tokyo Olympics. Chris, one last thing, because I don't think I've ever heard you talk about this. You obviously wrote the incredible article about Lou Williams and going to the Magic City Strip Club and the Wings. Lou Williams is on the Hawks. Did you ever have any conversation with him, albeit it would have had to be over like Zoom or a phone call and not in person, obviously? Yeah, um, because we weren't in person, it's obviously difficult to you know, <laughs> I mention it. Yeah. I could just um, see him after practice in normal times coming over and being like, bro, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But when you have like 40 people on a Zoom call, it's, yeah. it's, it's really difficult to, to do it. And then when the season happened, especially in the playoffs, um, you know, Lou had some really big moments in the playoffs, but he declined like every single interview that that, that people were asking because he wanted the focus to be okay. more on the younger players than himself, <laughs> which I th- thought was interesting. Um, but yeah, didn't didn't have the opportunity to talk to him about it. May- maybe if the Hawks resign him and we're back in the locker room, yep. I'll, I'll certainly mention it at that point. Oh, I'm sure there's some good stories there. Bill, back and forth between you two. But good stuff, <laughs> Chris. Sure. I appreciate your time. Excellent job on the Hawks beat this year. And uh, I appreciate the little insight here on Lloyd today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Scott. Thanks again to Chris. And on my next podcast, I'll look ahead to the NBA draft. I've been the only one on every single Zoom call for these prospects that have come through the Pacers and spoken with all the key players that the Pacers are considering. The team has three picks, including the 13th overall selection. Will they choose to use it or trade? That remains to be seen. And that will all go down Thursday, July 29th at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. That will do it for this episode of the Fieldhouse Files podcast. And I'll talk to you again soon.